0: We spoke about um, the context of the book, we spoke about the the time that this uh, prophecy comes in. We said it's basically like at, at the end of the era of the prophets, uh, Malachi is one of the minor prophets and he comes after the temple was rebuilt by Zerubbabel and Ezra had started to Emphasizes the significance of the law. Nehemiah had rebuilt the, the walls of Jerusalem, and the people just came back from the Babylonian captivity. So, after all of that, you expect that they were, um, you know, glad to be back and uh, to be grateful for God's salvation, his deliverance. But um, Malachi. Uh, realizes that everything is a mess. You know, they're no better off than they were during uh, the period of captivity when God was chastising them. As a matter of fact, they're even worse. There's a lot of hypocrisy that he's criticizing. Okay? So, with that being said, we're going to pick up with Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. Okay? So, Malachi 1, verse 6. And we will go until verse 8 alright name of the Father Son, Holy Spirit, one God Amen as a son a son honors his father and a servant his master if then I'm a father, where's my honor? and if I'm a master where's my fear? says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. You say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. And you say, how have we polluted it? By thinking that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that no evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that no evil? Present that to your governor. Will he be pleased with you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. All right, so let's take a moment to read that one more time and we'll meditate on it. So he starts this this section by appealing to the type of relationship they should have, right? It's a relationship of fatherhood and sonship. He he talks to them about um, how this sort of connection or this bond should look like. The bond. Of a son and his father, or even the bond that a, a servant has with his master, right? So, taking that as his, uh, his premise or the foundation, what's he confronting them with? What's, what's his accusation? So again, I want to hear you, uh, whatever you think, however you're interpreting this, what seems to be the thing that God is calling them out on? They're saying one thing and doing
1: another. What's that? So they're saying one thing and they're doing
0: another. They're saying one thing and they're doing another. So like there's this sense of hypocrisy, right? Now, what is, what is that specific hypocritical thing that he's, he's pointing to, like saying one thing and doing another? What is that thing that they're being hypocritical with? What's he pointing to exactly?
1: The sacrifice that they're making. So they're not offering him, they're not offering God a, uh, you know, a pure sacrifice that's not blemished, right? It's either blind or it's lame or sick or what
0: happened. Exactly. So, he's exposing their um, th- their unfaithfulness or their hypocrisy in offering something unfitting to God. Now, before we get into that, and, and that's a whole topic in and of itself, but I want to just meditate a little bit on his general premise because he lays down this a fundamental component to to fuel his argument and he's basically saying like isn't a son naturally one who would honor his father isn't a servant one who would honor his master this to him is like what goes without saying and you know that's that's the given. Okay, that's what he's using to say. What follows should also be what a norm. It should be a given. It should be like a natural reality, right? Just as a son would naturally honor his father, okay, or just as a servant would honor his master. And then he asks a very simple question If that's the case, if that's the natural order He says, what? Where is my, where's my what? Where's my fear? Okay And that's basically like the platform that he's setting To call them out on their hypocrisy Right? He's saying, where's my fear? Where's my honor? right if i'm a father where's my honor if i'm a master where's my fear and we would all agree that god is a father to us god is our master and so much more than that okay and and if that's the case we have to answer this question you and i have to answer god when he says where is my honor where is my fear? So let's answer this right now. Okay. Where is it? What, what does it look like? How should it be practically expressed? Whether we're doing it or not, let's at least identify what God is looking for when he says, Where's my honor? Where's my fear? What does it look like? what is this honor what is this fear like if God was to ask you this question how would you respond he's to say where's my honor where's my fear like what would you give him what would you do what would you not do
1: i wouldn't be able to respond but responding to you i would say that it's like obeying the commandments
0: obeying the commandments okay why do you say that that i i, I agree 100% but elaborate on why you you would say obeying the commandments
1: um because i mean christ himself said if you love me uh, you know, obey my commandments and I, I think saint john expresses that as well
0: okay very good so you you take that as obedience in relation to our love for god an expression of uh, our our intimacy loyalty and our our faithfulness to god now if, if you look at honor and fear is that Really, much different than love, because you you say obedience as uh, an expression of our love for God, which is absolutely true, but He's not asking like, where is your love for me, right? Although you could say uh, our obedience to God is an expression of our honor and our fear for God, Um, but is 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 it something that like equally applies to say, yeah? I mean, it—it's our obedience that also shows our honor for Him and our fear for Him.
1: Yeah, I mean, like the fear aspect of it is like you—you you fear disappointing Him, you fear um, kind of straying away from Him. So it, that it's that fear is born out of love, right? It's not fear as in I mean, I'm scared of. But God is a you know big bad guy and I'm going to be punished if I do this. It's not that type of fear. It's more of a, you know, it's fear that expresses honor, that expresses love and uh, obedience.
0: Very good. That's an awesome connection. Like, I mean, I personally didn't look at this concept in the way you explained it, but I love that because there's like a clear overlap. Where we adhere to his words uh, in in our effort to to avoid disappointing and we fear living apart from god uh, and that's essentially what we say um, what we mean by saying the fear of hell you know hell in the sense of Separation from God that's what torment and, and suf- eternal suffering would look like and eternal hell would be eternal separation from God like fearing living without God okay so we wouldn't but our love for him drives us to to fear the thought of disappointing him and that's ultimately what produces a sense of loyalty a sense of faithfulness and and Again, that's very, um, like, close to obedience as a whole, and and his accusation that they are offering these lame sacrifices is actually based on their lack of honor and their lack of fear, and and we we summarized this this. Uh, sort of issue as hypocrisy right unfaithfulness Um, you can even say that they are being obedient but it's a fake sort of obedience it's not a heartfelt obedience it's not a real um, honest faithful obedience there's He's saying, you've polluted my altar. Like, you're giving me stuff. Okay? But you're giving me something lame. You're giving me some, some nonsense. So Cyril of Alexandria says, In honoring God and in expressing our fear for God, that the God of all will be glorified by us as Father if our efforts are not directed to what is pleasing and attractive to us, but rather if we dedicate our thinking to Him, and in every case, follow His wishes. So that's the way we honor Him. Whenever we're not so concerned about satisfying our own needs, doing what is pleasing to our own wishes, just following our own mindset. Basically saying we honor God... When we're not living for ourselves, but living for him. Okay? Uh, Abiding by his word. Continue saying... Go ahead, Sandra. Sorry.
1: I I had a a little break there in my connection, so I don't know if you uh, mentioned this while I was out briefly, but um, while I do agree with Jack and with you in that there is a definite overlap, and there can be and there should be, between the fear and the honor and the love... Um, I see love the difference being with love there is more loyalty whereas with fear and with honor there is more discipline and it takes work and it isn't lazy Um, yeah like I, I don't I don't yeah. see them all being the same thing
0: yeah you're you're right we can't say they're synonymous in the sense of they're like interchangeable words, right? Um, you can't say that they, they they function in the same way. Although you see that they both work together, okay? And in a sense, the fathers say one builds the other. And I'm so glad that you mentioned discipline like a very critical word because the fathers say in, in agreement with the scriptures that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom right? Fear is the beginning and in the wisdom of Sirach so that's in Proverbs and throughout other parts of the Christian in the wisdom of Sirach he says it is the beginning of love the fear of the Lord is the beginning of love Uh, St. John Climacus, um, St. Diodocus of Photiki, other fathers as well, say that it is fear that produces love. And without that discipline, we develop a loose type of Christianity where we um, take God for granted. We compromise a lot. Um, We have no sense of, um, of of discipline and and that's why you'll even see children first learn um, like <laughs> little, little kids like whenever they're gonna step out of line like like mom and dad come in and whenever they're young they might not like love their their parents whenever they're one or two but they they know that there are rules in the house. Um, they can't run up and like open up all the shelves or the cupboards. Um, and, and mom and dad might come and stop them from doing that. And the kid will cry, you know, even though um, it's for his own good. But you need to teach him discipline first and and. The two-year-old kid might be attached to his mom or his dad, but doesn't, like, know love yet. Like, a two-year-old, um the kids think th- they're the center of the universe. <laughs> like, they think, like, you take their toy away from them, they think the world just ended. Like, <laughs> you got to teach them to share, you know. They don't really know what love is, but you don't teach them that until you kind of get them on the right path, discipline, and so on. So I'm with you 100% that there is a real distinction. But we progress, you know, a a father and a mother wants to lay down the rules as that child is young in in his infancy. But as the child develops, you don't want him to just listen for the sake of, uh, of just that he wants to avoid getting punished, you know and that's where the maturity comes in and then the former discipline provides him a rational platform to to submit out of love to his parents and to say yes how did all of those like little simple things and out of his own pleasure he loves his mom and dad and desires to um to, to listen and he doesn't care whether there's a consequence for uh, disobe- disobeying or whether there's a punishment or whatever because deep down inside he wants to listen and then fearing that punishment starts to fade away. You know, And that's what we hope to have. Um, but then there's another fear, and the fathers talk about this too, that never fades away. And that's why in the scriptures it says... Um, The fear of the Lord endures forever. And that's not the fear of punishment. But there's a sort of fear which is almost synonymous with love. And this is where um, it's a little tricky because it's not exactly the same, but it's so close and so intimately connected. They're like, oh, I see the connection. But um, you can say a person fears disappointing someone because of his love for that person like I don't want to hurt you because I love you so much I fear the thought of breaking your heart like I I love God so much that I fear disappointing him in just as much like my fear of disappointment for him is my love for him and my love for him is my fear of disappointing him so it's almost like it's a it's a close connection, but yes, it's very distinct. I don't know if that makes sense. How do you feel about that whole concept?
2: Abuna, doesn't um, John talk about that there's no fear in love? Like when you really love someone, then there is no fear.
0: Yes, absolutely. And then he even says that perfect love casts out fear. Mm -hmm. And so that's the sort of fear of punishment, like that's the fear that w- we want to fade out, you know, the fear of um, of negative consequences, you know, just like a father disciplines his child, and it's good. You want the, the child, he's not mature enough to really uh, desire all the right things because he's not developed um, in that sense yet. So until then, You say, like, you're going to get a timeout if you don't listen, okay? Um, As that child develops, you don't want him to do the right thing just because he fears getting a timeout, right? So that should fade away, absolutely. But the fear of living apart from God, the fear of disappointing God, the fear of sinning against God, which is essentially what the fear of hell is really all about, should never fade away right because w- w- when are you ever going to reach a point where you don't fear the thought of of you know straying you don't feel fear the thought of um, of falling and and turning your back on God? Does that make sense maybe you know. Tell me what you think. Hmm.
2: Okay, so don't shoot me. <laughs> no,
0: but go for it.
2: I I personally don't like to live my life that way. I don't want to be afraid of God. Like when I was younger, I used to be afraid of everything. You know, I was involved in a ministry that was like, okay, you can lose your salvation if you do this, this and this and Every day, I was worried that I was going to go to hell, and I didn't find that to be I um, I didn't find that to be a very um, fulfilling way to live my life. I personally decided that I want to do what's right, not because I'm afraid of God, but because I love Him, and because I love Him, I don't want to stray. And I know whenever. I do stray, and the Holy Spirit convicts me, and you know I want to correct it right away. Not that I'm perfect by any means, but I personally don't want to. I don't. I don't want my sons to love me because they're afraid of me. I want them to love me just because, Mm -hmm. and I want to do what God wants me to do just because.
0: Yeah,
2: if that makes sense. Like all this, like fear-based religion for me, it's. It's not um,
0: genuine. Uh, absolutely, because
2: you're, because you're afraid. What's the
0: point? Absolutely, and so I, I think you spoke about two different types of fear in in what you said, in the sense of living in fear of God, uh, mm-hmm. like as if you're you're afraid of Him, you're scared yeah. of Him. Uh, I don't think that should ever be the case. For for a Christian that's beyond his infancy, we say that that's at the beginning. Whenever we just need to get disciplined, whenever we need to, you know, like a child, and we have spiritual infancy, you know, we have our own spiritual growth. Somebody may look like a man, but in spirit, still need to initiate the spiritual walk. And at the beginning, he needs to just walk in line, you know, just you're not totally in love with God yet. So what you need to do is, is, is recognize that He's your Creator. Recognize that He's a consuming fire. Recognize that you can't just take His mercy for granted. And that, that sets you on the right path, keeps you within the flock. Until you grow, you realize the love and the compassion of the shepherd. You have a real relationship and that sort of fear just fades away. But you don't really stay in the flock when you're immature unless you have something to prevent you from stepping out of line, right? Because your love isn't there yet. You're still a child. You don't know love yet, okay? And so that should always fade away as you grow, okay? But if you think of like a marriage, like I fear the thought of offending Marina because I love her, you know? I fear disappointing her. Like the thought like breaks my heart. If I do something wrong, like, like I'm scared of breaking her heart, you know, and that's not like a crippling emotion. That's not like, oh, I'm scared that she's gonna yell at me. Like she's the kindest woman I know. She's not gonna do anything if I upset her. But I love her so much that I fear offending her, you know? And I think that's the sort of fear that is so healthy, and it's almost synonymous with love, right? And it's even sometimes hard to distinguish between the two, right? It's literally saying, I don't want to offend them. That right there is the fear of the Lord in the mature sense. You saying, I don't fear, uh, you saying, I don't want to offend God, and and. I hate the thought of um, turning my back on him. I know I'm weak. I know that I'm not perfect. And there are chances that I can fall. And I, I I would hate to disappoint him. That means you have the fear of the Lord. right? But if you think, oh, God is love. He's merciful. If I fall, no big deal. He knows how weak I am. You know, that's now you're crossing the line because you have this sort of um, um, fanatical love. It's not really grounded in something real. It's not grounded in your fear of disappointing him. You take him for granted. How does that make sense to you? I personally think fanatical love
2: means that you don't ever want to... um Disappoint God? That you're really dedicated to Him. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't
0: look at fanatical love as like dismissive, taking well, yeah. God for granted. Well, well, but forget about the word. Yeah, forget about the fanatical. Maybe that wasn't the best word for me to describe it. But in a sense of like someone taking God's love for granted, you know? Yeah,
2: I understand yeah. that. Mm-hmm.
0: So if you look at the fear of the Lord in that sense then you uh-huh. can see why the scriptures say the fear of the Lord endures forever and that we should have it. And again, it depends on how you define it. Like not everybody thinks fear is this like, like petrified emotion of God wanting to throw me into hell. <laughs> yeah. um, and if that's the case, then we, we got to rethink what what the fathers have taught us about fear. Um even Saint Anthony says I no longer fear the Lord because I love him. That's in sayings of the Father's I think saying number thirty. You know what he says in saying number thirty one? Always keep the the fear of the Lord before your eyes. <laughs> so it's like like dude, didn't you just say that you no longer fear God? But he's speaking of the fear of like, you know, I no longer fear of fear God as if he's a tyrant. But, but always fear the thought of disappointing him because of your love for him. Mm-hmm. If anybody else has anything to share, any thoughts, please feel free to do so. All right. So he continues to say, um, just in the second half of that quote, even though I think we did a wonderful job discussing it, but he says, we shall fear him as Lord if we check our inclination to depravity by the fear of offending him and ponder the charge made at the Divine Tribunal. Okay? So it almost just echoes exactly what we were saying, that we check our inclination to depravity by, offend- by, by the fear of offending him. All right. So, if we go to the next part of this uh, of this little section, okay, I'm gonna just jump back to the text. Okay. Now let's get into the actual offering that's made here we discuss what it means to honor God and to fear God and his accusation against his people that they don't have any honor or fear for God he continues to give them the proof of their lack of honor and their lack of fear and he says that um, you have despised my name And we're going to see this sort of dialogue or this sort of format throughout the scriptures or more specifically this this book in a beautiful way where there is this dialogue. God confronts them. He says, you've despised my name. And he even goes to reference their rebuttal on their behalf. Like that's how good God is. Like, He knows exactly what you're thinking, and He knows how you're going to respond whenever He comes and confronts you. He says, Abuna Joe, you've been lazy. And then He knows Abuna Joe is going to respond, Well, how have I been lazy? You know, Abuna Joe, you do not have the fear of the Lord. And He's going to say, Abuna Joe, I know you're going to respond, How do I not have the fear of the Lord? Or, you know, put in, just insert your name. I know that you are despising my name, or you're polluting my table, or my altar, or whatever it is. He knows exactly what your response will be to every proclamation, everything that the Lord proclaims, everything that the Lord instructs us to do, every criticism that, that God gives us. Okay. And that teaches us a few things. It teaches us that God isn't just criticizing us and walking away. Okay? Because the very next thing He says, You say, how have we despised your name? Okay? He's giving them the rebuttal. But then He answers the rebuttal that they're proposing. Okay? Whether they have Literally said it, vocally speaking. Or whether they're just thinking He knows that this is their rebuttal. And he's not just brushing them off, giving them their accusations. Telling them, hey, you're despising my name. You do not honor me. You do not fear me. So, like, check yourself. I'm out. (laughs) But he continues to offer them an answer for their rebuttal. Because they're telling him, okay, how? Okay, like, yeah, Let me tell you how. Because this is a relationship. I'm not just here to like bash you over the head with this criticism. I want to explain to you where you're wrong. I want to explain to you what you're missing. I want to explain to you how you've stepped how you have stepped out of line. So that you can actually. Get back in line so that you can rejuvenate your spiritual life. I'm not just trying to criticize you, make you feel like an idiot, and walk away. We do that sometimes whenever someone offends us. We don't like what someone says, so we just go and beat them over the head with it, and then we walk away. No, no, no. God doesn't want to do that. He wants to give us a real sense of understanding. And so He answers their question. He says, By offering polluted food upon my altar... Okay, and then the dialogue continues. Okay, and they still don't get it. And you say, "How have we polluted it?" And then again, he responds by thinking that the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals in sacrifice. Is that no evil? So, I love this this side of the spiritual life, like this. This beautiful, unique component, like in our spiritual life, there's this component of dialogue. There's this component of honesty, like where God just like, hey, let's put our guards down. Let's talk about everything. Let's just put it all on the table, okay? In Isaiah, I think it's one verse eighteen. He says, Come, let us reason, says the Lord. Though your sins may be as crimson they shall be as white as snow. Though they may be um, red like scarlet, they shall be white as wool. So let's reason. I don't care what your past looks like. I don't care about like even what you're doing now. Like what I care about is your next step forward. Okay, let's talk about what's happening, so that you can get your head on right. Return back to the the real spiritual life. Okay. So now, going deeper into this um, this specific uh, criticism, accusation, however you want to put it. Okay. When he says. That you're not giving me faithful sacrifices, okay? It almost points back to what was missing from their honor and their fear, because the very next um, topic, or or you can even call it the proof. For his accusation that they lack honor and fear. Is that he says they are not giving him whole offerings. Okay. So in a sense he's exposing their unfaithfulness. And that's what points to their lack of honor. And their lack of fear more than anything else. Okay. So what is he directing them to do? Is to look at the way they are living for God, the way they are sacrificing to God. And it all comes down to their offering. Okay? If we just give to God what we're supposed to give, it does not mean we honor Him and fear Him. It does not mean that we're on the right path. It doesn't mean we can just sit back and say, I have not despised His name. I I did my whole checklist one two three. That's not what it's all about. It's about like the quality of our offering, like our heart behind it. Saint Isaac the Syrian says, "If you are to give any sort of charity, let the cheerfulness of your face precede the gift, and by that." you will provide healing for the person that you are serving. You know, I, I, I didn't quote it word for word but in essence he's he's telling us that the spirit behind the sacrifice is really what matters. Okay? So this is a good place for us to reflect on the type of offerings we give God. Like even something as simple as coming to God in prayer. Are we always just seeking to take and take and take and take? We come to God and, you know, maybe we haven't prayed for a while, but, you know, we have this problem that we need help with or some issue started to get complicated in our life. So we come to God like, God, I need help with this. I need you to fix this. I need you to take care of that. And we're trying to take, 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 take. And so we might think that we are offering God our time, our prayer, that we're even offering Him our loyalty and we're offering Him a heart that is dependent on Him because we say like, I I depend on God to fix my problems. But in reality, are we really giving anything? And and that's not to say we can't ask. Actually, the scripture commands us to ask, to seek help. Saint Paul says, um, "Let um, be anxious for nothing, but in all things let your prayers and supplications be made known to God with thanksgiving." And if we really apply that, we see coming to God is not an option but an obligation. That we come to Him with our requests, like prayer requests. I need help with this. I need so that's fine. But that doesn't take away from the need of the heart to offer itself. Because if our prayer life is just seeking to take, 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 and not just like, God, I love you. I'm in love with you. I want to give you my time, my energy. I want to just be in your presence. Okay? So, we can apply this to our service as a whole. We can apply this in our relationships. You know, some friendships we have are all about just taking. You know, we might drain the people that are in our lives. You know, and, and we're not like pausing to reflect on how we can minister to them. Okay? I remember um, it was just by chance that I went to visit. Someone in the hospital to give them communion, um, but a random random guy stopped me and told me to visit um, his his relative and it was just a lady that um, that was sick i said sure I'd love to take the blessings of going to visit her and pray praying for her." I went up there I found out that she she had lost her son a few years, uh, a few years ago, from some tragic accident, and, and she wasn't an old lady. You know, she was still a young lady. So it was very devastating. It was her only son, and uh, I, I was just speechless. I didn't know what to say. I'm, you know, I'm thinking that um, this just crushed her, or or or, or he pulled her away from God, because I knew. Um, that that she was a believer. The guy that sent me up to pray for her um, was was a believer, and he asked me to go pray for her. So I knew she had some faith. I'm wondering how how that affected her, but she told me something that just blew me away. She said, you know, nothing really takes the pain away. Nothing really... um, you know, fixes the the whole, you know, um, the suffering, and fixes what, what I'm dealing with. But the only thing that gives me peace and a sense of relief is when I give to others, is when I step outside of Um, my own comfort zone and I step aside of my own mind and what I need and this lady is, is is sick she's been struggling with an illness for many years and she says when I serve others when I give that's whenever God gives me comfort you know I don't forget about you know the fact that I lost my son and the pain doesn't disappear but this is when I have More relief than ever. This is when I have more peace than ever. This is when I I experience God's presence. When I give. So you see that God is, is, is checking His people for something that ultimately benefits His people. Because if you pause and think about why we ought to give, what's the reason? God says heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What can man provide for me? Really? What what can I give God? The creator of all. (laughs) Even in the liturgy you say, we offer unto you your gifts from what is yours. It's like, I remember... um, I uh, I was um, like in elementary school, maybe even younger. Like I had I had some allowance, and it was um, it was approaching Father's Day, and you know I would get like a few bucks every week or whatever. My parents wanted me to learn some sense of financial responsibility. I don't know if it really worked, but <laughs> in any case, that was the goal. But it was approaching Father's Day, and, you know, I'm just a little child, I just have a few bucks, but I went and and, uh, got my dad, like, a little necklace that says, number one dad. And when Father's Day came, I gave him the necklace. Um, And it's just funny, because, like, he loved it. Like, my dad loved it. But deep down inside, he knew, like, he bought it. (laughs) It was his allowance. You know, I live under his roof. He's paid the rent. He's feeding me. He's providing for my clothes, everything that I have. So here I come as if I worked for something, gave him something out of my own pocket. (laughs) And I'm completely dependent on this man that I am giving him a gift. This is our relationship for God. And and it was just something that uh, honestly brought joy to my heart. You know, that's why Christ said it's more blessed to give, to give than to receive. Okay. Any thoughts or comments on that? All right, so let's continue with the next section. So he says, And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire upon my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I'll not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name is great among the nations, and in every place incense is offered to my name, and the pure offering for my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. All right, take a moment to read that one more time. All right. I'm gonna jump into the next section as well, just because it'll be a little easier for us to meditate on this. Uh, this this passage, taking the next couple of verses in context. But before I move on, anyone realize or, or recognize a part of this little section from the liturgy? Yes, no, maybe? If so, just shout it out where you might recognize it. no (laughs) so at the very end of this little section where he says from the risings of the sun to its settings yes my name is great among the nations and in every place incense is offered to my name and a pure offering so we pray this as the silent prayer that the priest prays during matins or vespers in the raising of incense, okay? And it reminds us that we're not doing this because we're adding anything to God, okay? Like, like the Lord doesn't need anyone to offer Him His uh, uh, worship, you know? Like, all praise is due to Him, regardless of what I do, right? And so, He says, your name is great among the nations, and like he said himself, in Palm Sunday, whenever everybody was shouting Hosanna, and they criticized him and the people, that he's allowing them to, to praise him. He says, if they don't praise me, the rocks themselves would cry out. Right? So, we, I come to God and say, like, all creation praises you. Like, <laughs> whether I praise you or not, it's not going to add anything to you. I'm just participating in that which is naturally due to you. Okay. Now, we continue this in the next little section, in verse 12, 13, and 14. He says, But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, and the food placed upon it is contemptible. What a weariness is this, you say, and you sniff at me, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations." Okay, so take a moment to read that one more time and then we can take both um, sections into consideration for this part of our discussion um, from verse 9 until verse 14. All right, so what can we take from these few verses? I know you can see quite a bit of overlap from what we spoke about um, in in the last little section as well. But in general, what's, what's he saying here? I think that he's reminding us to give him our best. Very good.
2: Yes.
0: Very good. And that's the heart of the criticism. Mm-hmm. It's this sort of like lukewarmness. Say, ah, this is good enough. Mm-hmm. you know, And it's hypocritical because they're like... He's basically telling, who are you fooling? Mm-hmm. Right? And again... They're taking His love for granted. They're taking His mercy for granted. And then, at the very end of this little section, He's appealing to their lack of fear. Right? He says, all of this and all of this, for I'm a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Amen. And, and here you are, taking my love and mercy for granted, offering me all this nonsense. And I think we got to take this to heart. And, And we speak about God's love, His mercy, His forgiveness, His unconditional love all the time. And that's the way it should be. You know, we should always speak of that. But we never speak of all that good stuff apart from our due diligence, apart from what is required of our role you know for us to to recognize that that God is is not just to be taken for granted because he is a loving god who loves unconditionally loves eternally and so on okay and this is unfortunately a an issue that we see in a lot of uh, Protestant circles, a lot of Western Christianity, where there's this like loose Christianity, like, yeah, God is good. And and, and then we're just living like it's nonchalant and offering our scraps, whether it's money and tithing, and he's going to get to that. Um, but whether it's our effort. And connecting with Him and prayer, reading the scriptures, or serving others, um, but we we gotta really take this to heart, because it's so prevalent around us, and and I'm, I'm afraid that sometimes trickles into our authentic Orthodox faith as well, and it has no place in real faith. It has no place. This sort of lukewarmness and hypocrisy has no place in the faith of a Christian in the place of a Christian's heart okay I want to just leave you with one final thought okay when God is criticizing their hypocrisy here what what really like um, identifies like the core of their sins like he's using something here to to stress that hypocrisy and it's not just because they're they're offering something blemished. It's not just saying like, okay. You have a blemished cattle, or lamb, or you have a sick sheep. Okay, is that really what he's mad about? What is he saying? Fourteen. The very f- first part of verse 14. You're deceiving. You're deceiving, but like, what's what, what's the problem if I just, I, I give God uh, something that's bound Like, I, I'm not perfect. I, I give him something that's uh, a little scrappy. It's a matter of the heart right it's kind of like the woman with the the two mites even though she didn't really have anything you really could look at her offering as as a um, as a
1: weak offering if you will but it was from her heart so I think what God is telling them is that their heart is their gift is reflective of what's in their heart and that's what he's more of it's not, it's not so much about the gift um, it's it's about the status the state of their heart
0: okay. Now, if you take that example, even with the widow with the two mites, if if she had if she had a hundred denarii, would Christ have commended her the same way?
1: Um. Uh. I think it depends but I think probably not because truly she gave all that she had like she trusted in him to provide
0: perfect perfect so now if you take a look at what he's saying verse 14 he says cursed is the cheat like the cheater who has a male in his flock and vows it he says God I vowed I'm going to give you this male I have something that's without I could have given you, if all you have is the two mites and you give that, you're going to hear the same words that God said about this saintly widow said about you as well. But what he's alluding to is like, it's not that I have a problem with you offering me your scraps. If all you have is scraps, you know what? Just give what you have and it's, it's great. But you got to look at what you actually have. You see, this right here is the core of how we should look at the way we offer whatever it is that we give God. Someone who has two or three kids, a job, this and that and that. You know what you're going to have? Two, three minutes a day. okay? Or just random moments throughout your day where you can lift up your God to thank Him. It's different than someone who doesn't have a strenuous job and a big family and several responsibilities. You know, Every one of us is different. Some people have a male goat or sheep in our flock. Some people don't. What God is revealing here is His sense of justice, His fairness, that He's not requiring something unreasonable. He's telling you, look, you have something you could have offered, something substantial. Not only that, but you vowed to give it. But what did you give me? Something of blemish? Like, what's more offensive? So, when we look at how we ought to give, we got to recognize God doesn't say um, you need to do this and give that and sell this and sell that. God isn't like Hitler that wants to just dictate your life. He says, if you have a lot, give a lot. If you have little, give little. Give according to your heart. Give according to just a spirit of faithfulness and that alone is all that matters okay and God is pleased with the the most faithful offering even if it's small okay any thoughts or questions before we we close with that
2: Abuna, I'm
1: so excited
2: that you're doing this book. I want to say thank you. And I am interested in learning more about um, the passage that talks about that the Son of Righteousness comes with healing in his wings. I know you talked about it a little little bit last week, but you didn't elaborate on it. I know we're not there yet, but just wanted to put that in your ear.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. It's actually one of my favorite parts of the book. So i'm excited i'm I'm really excited to get there too it's the only place in the old testament that references uh, that title to god uh and and um maybe even in entire scriptures even though in Luke there's a title that alludes to a, a similar quality when he when he calls him the 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 the, the east or the, the the rising star um, but it's a very um, beautiful title and I'm excited to meditate on it and um, learn more about it as well so yeah we'll definitely get there unfortunately it's at the end but that might even be better forces everyone to stick around so <laughs> we'll definitely get there though by God's grace I'm glad everyone is joining let's keep keep this going you know it's easy to start and commit for for this hour on Tuesday nights, and uh, have that that fire rolling and, and burning. I shouldn't use the fire analogy in Southern California loosely right now. Definitely need to pray for what's going on. Uh, but in any case, we need to be fervent while uh, we have that spark right now, and, and continue persevering until the end. Uh, it's it's a short book. It'll be uh, a few more weeks, and um, we'll we'll cover a lot, but I, I don't want us to lose that steam as we're going from the start. So encourage everybody that you know to a- attend and um, uh, so that we could all benefit. Amen. let's all bow our heads to pray. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen to intercession of Saint Mary. All your saints, hear us, O Lord, as we pray. Thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. To Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.